0: The term fake it till you make it. It's a really interesting term and one that I really don't like. And the reason why I don't like it is because it almost encourages people to create some sort of artificial construct of themselves, some sort of third party faked or acted part. And what I'm saying is that's not what's needed in the world. What's needed in the world now are human leaders people who empathize with other people, who want to build relationships. If you are faking it, you are not making the most of yourself. You're somehow trying to be someone you're not. And frankly, as we all know, you'll never be as good at being someone else as you are actually at being yourself.
1: I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people, who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. ever feel like everybody around you knows what they're doing, but you don't, or that somehow you're not actually as competent as you think you are, and soon everybody's going to find out that you're a fraud, or that somehow you don't actually deserve the achievements that you have. Well, if you feel like this from time to time, the good news is you're not alone, Studies show that a massive 70% of people feel like an imposter at some point in their professional lives. The imposter syndrome is a constant fear of being found out that you're not good enough or being called out for being a fraud. It impacts people in different ways and can be debilitating, negatively affecting relationships, personal lives, and careers. So what can you do about it? On this episode, Rita Clifton, author of Love Your Imposter* will tackle the myth that you need to fake it until you make it, arguing instead that being yourself is your greatest weapon against the imposter syndrome. Rita will also share why workplaces need authenticity more than employees do. Imposter syndrome was first identified in 1978 by psychologist Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes. In their paper, they theorized that women were uniquely affected by imposter syndrome. But since then, research has shown that both men and women experience imposter feelings, and Clance later published a paper acknowledging that imposter syndrome is not limited to women. Imposter syndrome really applies to anyone who isn't able to own their successes, which includes a lot more successful people than you might think. Here, Rita explains why this is. So imposter
0: syndrome, there are many different definitions, but the main definitions are really about a constant feeling of insecurity and inadequacy, despite the fact that you might be quite successful. And the way I talk about it, the way I recognize it often, is that, you know, My sense from time to time that this time, this time is going to be the time that things go pear-shaped, that maybe this time is going to be the time that someone taps me on the shoulder and says, you ought to step aside for someone who really knows what they're doing, or otherwise this is going to be too big or the step is too large uh, for you to take. And what I feel, my experience certainly, and this is a very common Experience for so many people, something like seventy percent of people will say that they experience these feelings of being an imposter. You know, maybe not being up to the job, maybe feeling a bit insecure about their abilities. This is a very, very common thing. And what I'm saying is, actually, bearing in mind this is quite a human, human thing, and it's a very common thing as well. Actually, it can provide a really powerful drive. So what I say these days is don't struggle with this imposter. Use it to make you better, to practice more, to try harder, to achieve more. So actually, you know, look at your imposter and go, I know you. I know why you're there. In so many ways, this is a, a mechanism, a tool to make you uh, more successful and also to work harder. If you just look at how many celebrities, how many leaders... You know, how many people in the public eye talk about imposter syndrome? Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Tom Hanks, Emma Watson. So many people talk about how they think that the next job that they're going to take, they might get fired. They're not good enough. Are they going to be able to do it? Are they going to be able to step up? These are normal human things. And judging by the success of so many of these people, actually it can be quite a useful drive and a useful tool.
1: People who suffer from the imposter syndrome are often encouraged to fake it until they make it or act as if, which follows the idea that if you behave like the person you want to become, then eventually you'll become like this in reality. If you want to feel happier, then do what happy people do, smile. If you want to get more work done, then act as though you're a productive person. If you want to have more friends, then behave like a friendly person. This approach is really based off the self-fulfilling prophecy that changing your behavior first can change the way you think and feel. But faking it until you make it can be really hard to sustain. And it only works if you correctly identify something within yourself that's holding you back. Behaving like the person you want to become is really about changing the way you feel and the way you think. All of which has to start from a place of authenticity, as Rita explains. You know, the term fake it till you make it. It's a really interesting term
0: and one that I really don't like. And the reason why I don't like it is because it almost encourages people to create some sort of artificial construct of themselves, some sort of third party faked or acted part. And what I'm saying is that's not what's needed in the world. What's needed in the world now are human leaders people who empathise with other people, who want to build relationships either with customers or staff or indeed uh, with broader society. And I think that goes against the concept of faking it. Because if you are faking it, you are not making the most of yourself. You're somehow trying to be someone you're not. And frankly, as we all know, you'll never be as good at being someone else as you are actually at being yourself. But what I'm saying is crucially important here. You want to be the best of yourself that you can be. And that's why the subtitle of the book is Be Your Best Self, Flaws and All. Recognize that you have some human insecurities, some flaws, you know, some quirks. We all have that. Recognize that and then use them to make sure that you are able to empathize with others and make the best of yourself by learning how to be a good presenter. You know, by learning the numbers, by really getting on top of strategy by making sure that you are you know, building confidence in others, there are many tools and techniques that you can use to do this, but making the best of yourself, not by some active part. When I was CEO, I think from time to time, I thought I had to act a part, act a part as someone frankly who was maybe chewing concrete blocks for breakfast, you know trying to you know, be pushy. What felt more natural to me was to be a nurturing type of leader, to get the best out of others. And I wanted to make the best of that me that I felt really could achieve more and do it more in a way that actually I felt I could uniquely do.
1: What makes imposter syndrome worse is when you try really hard to prove your worth to other people, which is why faking it can backfire. A study published in the Journal of Consumer Research found that people who tried to prove their worth to others were more likely to dwell on their shortcomings. Wearing fancy clothing or jewellery to increase self-worth just ends up making people feel like a bigger failure. Tackling imposter syndrome starts with addressing the limiting beliefs that are holding you back. And here Rita shares how. Number
0: one is clarity. And make sure you really do understand yourself and get some advice maybe from others on your strengths and unique qualities. Secondly, coherence. How do you make your sense of clarity show up through everything you do? Yes, in terms of personal appearance and presentation, but also your skills. If you want to run an organization, you need to make sure you're on top of the numbers. You need to learn the language of finance, for example, because the language of the boardroom is finance. So you need to learn that. That will give you confidence as well as stretch your abilities. So coherence really matters. And also, again, if you want to lead people and run an organization, you need to be a good communicator, a good presenter. So many people tell me they hate that stuff. They hate presenting it, you know, creates fear. Well, here's the best way of getting over that fear. Practice, practice a lot say yes to every invitation to speak at every event. And there are many tools and techniques, again, that you can use in speaking about using a steady gaze, the way that you breathe, the way that you stand, how you make sure that you learn the first few sentences. There are many things to do in that sense too. That has given me confidence over the years using some of those. And the third part is about how you lead your own brand. And that means about being nosy and curious about what's going on in the world. What are technical uh, developments? How are people changing? How is you know, the world and how people relate to each other? How are all these things changing? You need to make sure that you stay on top of what's happening and keep on developing your skills. Keep on developing who you are, so that you keep on growing, you keep on developing, and you keep on staying relevant. And that applies
1: at any age and stage of your career. Organizations can also create environments that encourage people to be themselves. And this starts with valuing authenticity.
0: We all need many, many more women to end up running organizations. We need a different chemical balance at the top of organizations of all kinds. And I think we've recognized just what an imbalanced world we've got, both from a political as well as from a business point of view. And at the moment, for example, 93% of the countries on this earth are run by guys. And yet, in the pandemic, uh, the countries, just those 7% of countries that are led and run by women, tend to be handling the pandemic more effectively than other countries. So, I guess what I'm saying is that we need a better balance at the top of you know, what runs the world, whether that's business or it's nations. And frankly, from a business perspective, I mean, I've spent all of my working career in business or most of it anyway. And what I'd like is for business to be more human. I want business to act in a way that reflects the fact that we are here by the grace of our customers and by the general public and sometimes business can really present itself almost as you know caricatured doctor evils you know somehow like an alien nation where people dress in a way that sets them apart from the rest of society. Suits and ties and you know rigid hair, all of these things. Sometimes we can present ourselves almost as you know, a set of beings apart from the rest of broader society. I think that has to stop because we need businesses to be supported and welcomed by broader society and indeed by governments. We need to reflect the fact that we are humans dealing with other humans outside and that we do need in any way possible to show that we empathise with both what our customers, our staff and indeed broader society really, really needs. So why did I do the book? I did the book, A, because I really want businesses of all kinds to make sure that they are projecting that they are more human and that they care about what other human beings are preoccupied by that they have empathy with that. And secondly, that we need a lot, lot more women ending up running organisations at the very top. And I think sometimes because the corporate workplace was originally set up almost as a sort of military type of structure, somehow we have respected hierarchy and ways of managing people, again, that feel, in my view, anyway, a bit fake, not like human relationships and, you know, the human condition and human connections. So I think that, you know, flatter structures, more collaborative structures and cultures within organisations that enable people to talk to others about how they feel, about some normal human emotions and things like that, this is a healthy workplace. And I think that kind of honesty, that kind of openness about who we all are and about you know, the kind of priorities that we might have. This creates, in my view, a more positive and nurturing workplace where everyone can thrive.
1: Finally, Rita shares one action that each of us can take to tackle the imposter syndrome when it shows up at work.
0: Make friends with your imposter. Don't fight with it. You know, I was talking to someone who happened to be a martial arts expert recently. I mean, I would not know one end of a, you know, a judo map from another. But when I was talking about the book, about loving your imposter, about working with it, they said to me, Do you know, this is really interesting because the way that you win in judo is not by fighting your opponent, but actually by using their weight to win, using their own weight to win. And I thought that was a fascinating analogy because in some ways you go, right, you know, I recognize that voice. I recognize this entity on my shoulder saying, you can't really do that. You know, uh, you're not really meant to be here and so on. You go, actually, do you know, thank you for that. I know why you're there. You are there to help me improve and to be better and so on. And this feels like a really you know normal human thing and maybe you know there is a key here in the human mentality whereby we want to move on as a species we want to develop and so on and These drives come from many interesting places, and the imposter drive is one of those things. And if you treat it in the right way, if you recognize it in the right way, you can use it as a positive thing, as opposed to something that is debilitating. Now, clearly, if some people do find it debilitating, you need to get some specialist help But for the rest of people, say, you know, 60% of people, we are looking at something that is all too common and it makes us all human. And that has to be a good thing for us all to take forward.
1: I really enjoyed speaking with Rita because imposter syndrome is something I've experienced my whole life. Faking it until you make it just never really resonated with me. The real work is to find a way to show up as yourself. And for me, this started with recognizing my expertise, strengths and capabilities and then doubling down on them. It also required recognizing my achievements and owning them. For some people, writing these down goes a long way to overcoming feelings that you're not good enough. The one thing I know for sure is that the only way to overcome the imposter syndrome is to find a way to be yourself at work. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality works, what the 17 most common barriers are that all women face, and how gender inequality creates challenges to men's fulfillment of work. Most importantly, you'll learn what we can do to remove these obstacles and how we can begin to make workplaces work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all again next week.